Hello and welcome back all you uh you spooky people out there. This is your your lovely host, Talon A. Smith. And I'm Tori Melkry. And welcome to Tales of Grimm. Today we are talking about a very fun movie. We just watched Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark for the first time. And let me tell you, that was a goddamn horror movie I have been so excited to see. Honestly, same. Like, we have watched the trailers and I it always came to a point where like when it was out in theaters, something always came up where I couldn't watch it, but that was, like, a movie I have literally been dying to see for the past, like, year. Oh, have you been dying to see it? Yeah, honestly. And then <laughs> it got to the point where it was, like, it was out of theaters, so I was like, okay, well, now I have to wait for it to come out, like, on Netflix or something. And it's still not on a streaming service, but I luckily got the chance to watch the movie and had the time to watch it. Tori, what are your thoughts on Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark? Luck, Tyler, I was actually really looking forward to it because I enjoy urban legends a lot. I love the Grimm's Tales, and to me, this is basically like the Grimm's Tales. It's a more modern American, like North American, I guess, because... Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you getting on about? <laughs> I don't know. It's more of like a modernized and Americanized um, Grimm's Tales. Okay. Yeah, because it's originally, I actually looked this up, um, it's a book that was written by Alvin Schwartz, and it's basically just all of these urban legends that are put together. Are they urban legends or are they fictional short stories? Aren't urban legends shorts, like, fictional short stories? I mean, <laughs> in most urban legends, there's some sort of, like, truth to them, which is why they're, like, legends. Yeah. I feel like, honestly, if we dove into some of these stories, we could actually find at least a little bit of truth in it. Like, I feel like the spiders coming out of the face has some truth to it. I don't know about truth to it, but I definitely have seen that as a horror trope before of, like, insects coming out of a person. Exactly. Like, I'm, I've definitely seen a bunch of horror movies that had that thing, like, that, that same kind of, like, idea, but I cannot think of a single name for it. <laughs> and the jangly man and... Well, before like, we talk about the jangly else, man like... and everything, let's actually talk yeah. about the plot of the movie and our thoughts on it. So, the plot of the movie is that these, was it five, six teenagers? Well, initially three. Initially four. No, it's three teenagers that uh, mess with a bunch of high school students, and then as they're escaping, they basically play kind of like a horror prank on them. So, you know, it's set in the 60s, and oh, yes. they, uh, you know, they get like a dog, like a bag of poop, not dog poop, it's not. No, so it's he literally human poop. fishes it he out of the toilet. He fishes it out of the toilet, puts it in a brown bag, and at some point he lights it on fire and throws it at a bully. And as the bullies are chasing them, they run to this drive-in where they meet character number four, uh, Ramon. I believe his name was Ramon, right? One of the names he gives is Ramon. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, Ra Ramon Morales is his name. Yes. Yes. Something like that. <laughs> but they meet Ramon, and it's so funny because we literally just watched this, like, Ten minutes ago. Well, he also, I'm pretty sure the name he gave the cop and that he says to them is fake. Oh, yeah. No, he originally said Ramon Rodriguez. Yes. And then it comes out that his name is actually Ramon Morales. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> so they go to this drive-in. You know, they, they pulled all the pranks on the bullies that have been torturing them. And as we're running through the drive-in, one of the main girls, Stella, she decides to open up a stranger's car. She sees this guy by himself, opens it up, hops inside. Her two buddies see what she does and hop in the car with him. And this guy's like, what are you doing in my car? And he happens to be the same age as them as well. But, uh... Well, he's 18 at least. No, they did not say any ages at all. Well, 18 or 19, because he was for the draft. That's true. Although, I thought you could have been drafted. Josh was 18. In the 60s? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? You were either drafted out of high school, and to avoid the draft, you either need to have a physical or mental issue or you were going straight into the workforce or had like some good job I lined thought up for or Vietnam, something like that. They were, I thought for Vietnam they were drafting people like at 16. I don't think so. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure it was out of high school. People, if you're listening to this and you're <laughs> just like, you're both a bunch of idiots, here's the truth. Please let us know in any comment section below. Oh yes, any history nerds, please call us out on our shit. Yeah, honestly, I really appreciate that. Like, we're we're literally just talking here. If you guys know the actual answer, please let us know, because that would be amazing. They go into this drive, like, this uh, this whole drive-in theater thing. They hop in this car. The bullies come up to the window, and, you know, they start tapping on the window. Like, all of you need to get out. And, you know, they're threatening him, and Ramon kind of tells the bully off, which is a really good scene. And then all the people in the drive are like, Hey, bully, dude, get out of here. We don't, Sit down. We don't specifically call them a bully. I know. Um, they're like, hey, like, get out of the way. Like, you're blocking the movie because they're at a drive-in. Yeah, they don't know that they're bullying them. I mean, <laughs> the, literally, he's walking around with a baseball bat, tapping on a car window with a baseball bat. Yeah. If that doesn't say I'm a crap human being, I don't know what does. <laughs> or a stereotypical bully like, in a movie. Imagine yeah. walking around today with a baseball bat. Like, going to the mall, carrying a baseball bat, tapping on, like, the glass or something like that. You're going to get arrested so quickly, or people are going to give you so many funny looks, like you're a serial killer. Or just you're really odd, but yes. So after all the cars, like, honk at him and all that stuff, the bullies leave. Stella, because they also bring up how her mom left. After, oh, yeah. So after she cries a little bit. Oh, yeah, because the bullies said something about her mom leaving. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, are you going to be leaving like your mom did or something like that? Which, it's so funny because, literally, how do all the bullies in any movie know, like, the personal history of the person? Well, it's also a small town. Sure. And one of the friends, I think it was the one with the curly dark hair, Charlie, he had said that it's a small town and, like, everybody knew about it. I just want to know, like, how does that get around? Like, even in a small town, is it, like... Hey, you know, the girl skips class for like two days and the teacher's like, guys, be nice to her because her mom left. Like, how does that get it's around? A, it, it, you know, a lot of people like to gossip. So I, I feel like word of mouth, like the mom leaving would have been huge news, especially in maybe like a religious community where no one's allowed to leave because cultists that's true because um who was it? <laughs> it was uh chuck's mom was a religious one where he was like mom i want to dress up as spider-man and he was literally wearing a spider costume yeah which is such a clever joke as a parent i would love to do something like that because yeah. that's hilarious but the mom responds to something like be glad that the lord provided 
Yeah. So an obvious... Is that saying that she's the Lord because she's the one that made the costume? No, more like be glad that the Lord gave you what you gave or what gave you what you have right now. But like she made the costume. You know, I don't know. <laughs> It's such an odd <laughs> line to give to your child when you're the one that made it. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not religious. I'm sorry for all the religious people out there that could be potentially listening. Yeah. But anyways. <laughs> so after the drive-in, the girl, Stella, actually takes them to a haunted house, which, again, is a urban legend in the town where this girl named Sarah Bellows was locked in the basement of her family's basically mansion in the forest and they say that she killed all of these kids which is why she was locked away her parents left and she hung herself and people can still go in ask her to tell stories and she tells them the stories but it's the last story that they ever hear Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> yeah, no, it's literally weird. It's like the whole legend is that they go into the house and like, Sarah, tell me a story. And then they get told the story and they die. That's, it's insane. Even though I she's, mean, even though Sarah's already dead. It would be the same dead. thing as kids nowadays basically turning the lights off in their bathroom and saying Bloody Mary or Candyman. Oh, funny story. <laughs> I literally did that today. Tori and I were brushing our teeth and I was like, I pulled my toothbrush away randomly and I was like, Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. And Tori was like staring at me. And I was like, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. Damn, it didn't happen. This was also when the lights were on in the bathroom and it wasn't even noon. <laughs> it wasn't. It was like <laughs> 10 in the morning. <laughs> I don't know where that sprung in my mind, but I was just like, I I'm going to say know. this. Let's do it. <laughs> and then you said something about like, oh, how funny would it be if... They were fighting over who gets Oh, yeah, because I said Candyman first. I was like, Candyman's coming, and then I immediately did Bloody Mary. And I was like, oh, man, they're fighting to see who's going to kill us first. Now we know that Jerry is going to kill us. If you don't know who Jerry is, you guys should listen to uh, one of the past episodes. I believe it's called um, Our True Life Ghost Story. I think it's our best episode. <laughs> <That's> the... <laughs> yeah, I, we still need to do a, a second episode about that. We do, but uh, we have not gotten comments about doing another one, so until we do... We gotta hold off on it. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, listen to the podcast. It's pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what happens in the mansion? Okay, so you know they're in the mansion, and lo and behold, Ramon finds a secret room in the mansion. Every horror cliche ever imaginable. (laughs) So they find, like, basically, like, you know, he's looking at the wall. He's like, what are all these scratches from? And, like... Next to the scratches is, like, this cabinet. So they pull the cabinet the same way as the scratches, and it reveals this hidden door. So they go into the door, pry it open, there's all these spider webs. They go through it and eventually go to this room where Sarah Bellows was locked in. And while they're down there, they end up finding her book that she was writing all her scary stories in. So the main girl, Stella, she takes the book home. And when she takes the book home, the story appears. And it's saying it's talking about um, how this person named Tommy... Is running through the cornfield and how he hates the scarecrow. Yeah, and how all he that hates stuff. the scarecrow. That his fam. Basically, there was a scarecrow that lived on his family farm that he hated. But Tommy was the name of the bully that was torturing them. And 
in the beginning, you actually saw Tommy and his friends beat up the scarecrow named Harold. Yeah, I don't know what his vendetta with the scarecrow was, but like literally know. he was hitting that thing with a baseball bat. What is what is with bullies and baseball bats and hating things? <laughs> I don't know. It was the 60s, so it was either baseball or football, and I guess baseball was easier to... I don't know. <laughs> I'm bored. I live in a, on a farm. I'm going to beat up a scarecrow with a baseball bat. Tommy. Anyways, yeah. it's really great because the scarecrow kills Tommy and uh, takes his little outfit, and Tommy turns into a scarecrow. <laughs> Which... <laughs> that, yeah. that was great that was a great scene the scarecrow that he beat up literally chased oh him down super slowly caught up to him because tommy trips like every horror cliche and over a pickaxe or oh, not a pickaxe a pitchfork. Uh, pitchfork yes this he stabs the scarecrow with the pitchfork doesn't do through, anything because because <laughs> he stabs it through the middle where you could obviously see that there is only a pole that oh is God. holding the top to the bottom. It was so great. Literally, like, this dead center of the scarecrow, there's nothing. Top has, like, you know, body parts. The bottom, like, legs, waist, legs down has body parts. But the dead center where the stomach would be is just the pole. And he stabs the pole with the pitchfork. Why he wouldn't do the chest or, I don't know, the head? I know. Literally, you had so many targets <laughs> and you hit the target that lacked nothing. Amazing. <laughs> Anyways, the, the scarecrow pulls the pitchfork out of him, out of like the little like pieces of wood that did get hit by the pitchfork. And, and as Tommy is running away, the scarecrow then skewers Tommy with the pitchfork. And then Tommy keeps running, trips again, and then turns into a scarecrow. And he's, like, vomiting hay the whole time. Like, you don't see blood. Like, hay is coming out of, like, his ears and, like, his stomach. You can see, like, where the holes um, would have been with blood. You just see hay. You actually see hay coming out. So he's literally turning into a scarecrow. Which, uh, although, that's one of the things I was confused at, where... You do see the scene where they find the scarecrow and it's wearing his, you know, his letterman jacket. So, was that Tommy as the scarecrow or was that the scarecrow that took Tommy's uniform? Because in either scenario, the scarecrow looked the same. That is very true. Right. And there are, as much as I loved this movie, it was very entertaining. I do know that there were some plot points where it kind of got me wondering. Yeah. Um, like, one of the characters that is actually... She gets trapped in the house with the kids is Chuck's older sister. And Chuck is one of the friends. Before she gets pushed down to the basement by the bully, she says something about, oh, you better let them go or else I'm going to tell the chief. So then that makes me wonder, what exactly was she going to tell the chief? And... I know it doesn't really matter to the story. I mean, it kind of does. But it's still, it's a very minor thing. And later on, um, it also has, they go to the asylum for... Oh, yeah. They went there because they were like, oh, we need to find out how she died. But then they end up finding about this, this whole other scenario. And then they hear this story about how their friend Chuck is about to die. So they try tracking down Chuck. And how the hell does Sarah Bellows know... You know, ghosts. Yeah, That's it has, the logic. It has issues in it. I know that. 
It was still a very fun and enjoyable movie, though. Oh, yes. Oh, I really love it. A lot of the things that Guillermo del Toro does are phenomenal. Like, yeah, you know, sometimes they're super, like, fantasy-esque, but I always enjoy his work so much. He's such a good director, producer, writer. Actually, I just thought of something. Later on, when they're in the asylum slash hospital, after one of their friends gets killed by the toe monster that keeps asking where is my toe oh it's such a gross scene too because oh, he's God. eating chili that he just randomly or stew that he found in the fridge yeah his mom and his stepdad or whatever are on a way like away on a business trip and he calls her and you literally hear him say what do you mean the stove the stew that's in the refrigerator and well, he's someone like, had to have made it, and as he's, like, taking it out, like, who in their right mind, if your mom tells you she did not make the stew, and the other guy didn't make the stew, and you didn't make the stew, who else would make the damn stew? Okay, but to be honest, though, I would do the same thing if I was a teenager in his position, where I was like, I'm home alone, no, there's food in the fridge, I didn't make that, well, I'm gonna eat it anyways. It's kind of like one of those things where it's like, someone brings home food from a restaurant, and you're just like, well, who ordered this? I don't know, well... It's in the fridge, I'm gonna eat it. <laughs> well, yeah, but I feel like there's... There has to be a line where it would be believable or not. I don't know. I still feel like it's believable. Because, like, you know, you don't... If you're living at home, you don't expect a random person to make stew and put it in the fridge. You know, you're like, you're expecting someone in your family probably made that stew. Yeah, but if your mom is saying... And literally it's only him her and the stepfather or whoever he is and if the mom says no i didn't make it and obviously the dad didn't make it i personally if he i was in his situation i don't think i would eat it oh i would totally be the dumb teenager at that point that's like well screw it i'm gonna eat it then if no one <laughs> no so, one's claiming this <laughs> sounds like you would die in a horror movie before i would 100 percent. if i was in a horror movie i would definitely be the guy that tries to run off alone to save everyone and then ends up dying in the process that that's oh, my I horror movie trope <laughs> sorry side note you would be the person that uh trips and dies no you don't think so? Who do you think you'd be in a horror movie? Actually, yeah, I'd probably be the one that trips and dies. <laughs> Knowing me and how I fall going up the stairs. You're pretty clumsy. Just, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. <laughs> You're the tripper. Uh, sadly. <laughs> so, anyway, after this friend dies, they do more research. Is it after the sister and the spider incident as well? Yeah, so Chuck's sister at one point, she's about to go on to perform like some musical for Bye Bye Birdie and she has this giant spider bite and one of the, she's like trying to pop it and play with it the whole time and one of the girls like, oh, you need to take care of that before you get on stage. So she runs to the bathroom. She's like picking at this spider pimple bite thing and eventually a spider leg pops out of the skin. And it's not just one, it happens to be Probably hundreds. Oh no, it gets worse before that. She picks at it and then she pulls the spider leg until it pops and that's when thousands of spiders yeah. come out of this bite. Or like that this pus really. bulge in her skin and it's so gross. Yeah. Talk about a nightmare, oh my god. <gasps> and then, okay, so this is where like my confusion comes from because so, you know, all the spiders come out and, like, she's getting bit by all these spiders that mm. just came out of her, her face. And you can see the teenagers, her brother and the two other kids, actually save her. 
Right. And because when they have the book from Sarah Bellows, they can actually see when the story is being written. So Sarah the ghost is writing the stories in the book. And at, and they can see it, like, in real time, the story being being written. So that's how they're able to track down the sister. And when they find her, you know, she's being attacked by the spider. So her younger brother, Chuck, ends up running into the hallway of the school, grabs, like, a bucket of water, and just tosses it on her. Yeah. And that gets away all the spiders. And, and you, can, you can see that she is covered in spider bites. But, you want to finish your idea? Yeah. You basically see that as the water kind of washes away all the spiders that, you know, she's still alive. And then the next shot we see is her in a, you know, like... She's basically being wheeled away by an ambulance. She's covered in a blanket, but yeah. she's not fully covered. Like, her head's not covered. Yeah, so she's not dead. Like, you know, how you would cover a dead body. But her brother in the next scene goes, oh, but she's gone. And it's like, wait, is she dead? Yeah, like, that I was a very confusing line. It was, because I had to rewind it, and I was like, but wait, no, she wasn't covered in the gurney. The gurney was the word I was trying to think of a yeah. minute ago. But I was like, no, she looked fine. So we rewound it, and I was like, no, she's fine. That's a very confusing line. I don't get it. Like, why is he saying that my sister's gone? Like, she's not dead. Yeah. So that kind of made no sense. But anyway, after this, the three teens decide to do a little bit more research on Sarah Bellows and her family. And that's how they go to the insane asylum, or mental hospital. Well, at first they find that all of the family members have already died, and specifically have all died from Sarah Bellows' stories. And there's one story called The Wendigo, which I love the wendigo tale so oh. much so the second one i saw that written like in the little blood ink i was like oh wendigo are we gonna see that in the movie i was very no. bummed we didn't get to see the wendigo yeah sadly but they also find that the bellows actually fired their was it a black nanny and her little daughter right and the daughter was actually still alive now she's an old woman you know very blind and the woman says that she and Sarah were friends. They had the same music box. And she, the little girl actually gave Sarah the book, like herself, because Sarah was downstairs, um, hidden away, no lights, you know, hidden away in the darkness that whole time. And, the whole, and they hid Sarah away because she, was, she had um, albinism, is I want, I want to say that's what it's called. Yes. But so, she was albino. So she had very, very pale skin, white hair. But anyway, the, so the little girl gave Sarah this book to keep her company. She says something along the lines of, you know, Sarah hung herself, but I was there. She didn't hang herself in the house. And she also mentioned something about a hospital. Right. So they end up going to the hospital and trying to find these records of Sarah Bellows to try and see where exactly she died. Because all of the stories say that she died in the house, but the woman that actually was there says it, that she didn't. Right. So, out of random side note though, out of all the scary stories in this movie, which do you think was the creepiest? I want to say the, like, toe zombie. Really? For some reason. Why is that? 
there was just something about it. Maybe it was the whispering voice. I found that a tad bit more creepy than the jingle jangle man or whatever he's Really? Called. See, I thought the jangly man was the creepiest in that movie. Because he was a contortionist and the body, like, fell apart and all that stuff, yes, it was kind of creepy, but there was also comical... With the jangly man, you know, they're in the police station at one point in the movie, and literally the jangly man's story begins, and his head, literally just a head falls out of the chimney into the police station, and the cop that arrested the kids are like, what the, what the shit? And, like, the jangly man opens his eyes and starts talking, and the cop pulls out his gun and starts shooting literally this head on the floor, like, Five times, and the jangly man's just like laughing, and then the rest of his body falls down the chimney. They construct together and form a single being that's like yeah. this weird contortionist body thing, and literally hunts after Ramon. And it's so terrifying, in my opinion, because Ramon at one point hijacks a police car, is driving down the road, and this thing jumps on the car. He rams it into a truck like he he's driving the car hits jangly man against a truck and this thing doesn't die it basically separates its body into back into like separate limbs and forms itself back up into a single being again to hunt after him that is terrifying <laughs> yeah but for some reason because of that comic relief of when the head fell down the chimney and the officer was like Oh, are you kidding me? And, like, the shooting the gun, like, that was just more of a comic relief to me. But that, that, that I feel like that's scary. the most genuine reaction. Because for me, if I was <laughs> in his position as a police officer, and literally a head falls down a chimney, opens its eyes and starts talking, I would pull out my gun and shoot it. Yeah, probably. Or yeah. skewer it with, like... I would have so much fear and being of, like, what is happening? Oh my god, I would pull out my gun and shoot the thing. <laughs> oh my god. I, I could not picture myself in that situation. So I think it's safe to say that would be the creepiest creature for you. Oh, absolutely. A head falling out and just screaming and talking and blinking at me. It's not saying nice things. It's like weird gibberish. Just like weird stuff. I'm... No. Could not do it. Anyways. On a scale of 1 to 10 though, how would you rate the movie? Overall, I think I would rate it around like a 7.5 or an 8. And why is that? Because of some of the plot holes. Okay. Um, or some of the questions that I started asking, like, where was Sarah actually killed? But when they are in the hospital, you know, Ramon and Stella separate from Chuck, which is how Chuck actually ends up dying with the white woman. Oh, the pale woman, yeah. Oh, yes. She's actually pretty terrifying. Yes, but also she's not because of that, like, she just has this happy, joyful smile. And she and just, she wants, just a hug. wants a hug. The second she hugs like, you, she absorbs painful, you. It's not a painful death, though, that you could see. Like, you could visibly see Chuck relax and kind of just fall asleep. So it's a very easy death. The pale woman literally absorbs him into her body. That yeah. is terrifying. But anyway... And with the red lighting, oh my god, that was such solid, very terrifying. 
<laughs> that definitely added to the effect of him running through like the hospital hallways and just seeing the pale woman with like the random flickering lights and her coming down literally every hallway he turns around. But anyway, Ramon and Stella do actually go to this thing called the Red Room, which is where all of the archives basically are, all of the records. And they find a recording, basically, on this old wax thing that I guess people used to use. Yeah, I've never heard of that up until today. I do kind of want to research that a little bit more, because I do believe that that would be, like, the first recording. Yeah, but it's, it's very interesting, because it was, like, a wax cylinder that I guess you would play on, like, a... But it's not as different as... It... Like a record, I guess. Or a music box. Right. Well, I'm more curious about how that thing actually records onto a wax cylinder. Like, that's fascinating to me. That's something I want to yeah. look into. I don't know. But either way, as they're listening to this recording, the children that Sarah Bellows originally supposedly killed were actually killed by her family from this... They put mercury in the water, killed a bunch of children, and then blamed Sarah for it because she was an albino. And yeah. Sarah needed to get revenge with her scary book that killed people. But one thing that I'm also kind of curious about is if the family did it on purpose. 100%. Or if it was more of a pollution thing because the family ran a paper mill. Well, yeah, no, they wanted the money, but they didn't want to get in trouble for it, which is why they blamed Sarah. Exactly. So... And Sarah I mean, that got happens her nowadays. Oh, that absolutely. still happens nowadays. But anyway, um, after that comes out, we can hear the brother torturing her and electrocuting her. And at one point, he says something where it kind of makes you think that maybe she's dead. But then Sarah Bellow's voice actually comes on and starts telling Chuck's story. So right. maybe in that recording, she actually did die. But then her recording afterwards was her her ghost voice yeah, see, coming I, through and saying the story. I took that as either way, where it's like she was either in the past and said the story because, you know, supernatural ghost stuff, or it was literally <laughs> her ghost chiming in to, like, the present day saying, oh, now the next story's starting. Either way, it kind of works out the same way. If Sarah actually died from electrocution, though, and we do know that the brother was actually a doctor... He could easily cover it up. So maybe she didn't hang herself as much as her brother basically killed her by electrocution. On that note, we won't spoil the ending. We uh, highly recommend you guys watch this movie, though. And if you guys have any more comments on anything that we've said, any theories about maybe what the sister was saying that the chief needs to find out, please comment. Like, subscribe, all We're that stuff. on Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, YouTube. Spotify. And Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Check us out, guys. Yeah. We're, we're literally a pri like primary word-of-mouth podcast. <laughs> I'm terrible at marketing, but we have so much fun doing this. We do. <laughs> and if you guys have any ideas of any more horror stories that you guys want us to do or any scary stories, please comment and we will do that. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. All right. See you guys. Bye-bye.